you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 18 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to bring it so that you can read above and below, turn back and forth as we walk through this text and even the whole broader context of God's story. Mark 2, verse 18, I'm reading from the NIV And it begins with these words. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day, they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, grateful for your presence with us. And we pray, Lord, that as we continue in the time that we have together, you would give us clarity with respect to what you are doing in our midst, how you are leading us from this place. Lord, give us a greater revelation of who you are that shapes and forms who we are and how we live our lives. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning we are concluding a three-week series on prayer and fasting. It's inspired by Seedbed's wake-up call. That's a daily text written by J.D. Walt. And the overarching theme for this series has come from James chapter 5, verse 16. The second sentence in that verse is on the screen behind me. Would you say these words with me? The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Two weeks ago, we answered the question, what does it mean to be a righteous person? We become righteous when we put our faith, our trust in Christ, when we believe in Christ, and we become more and more righteous as we go with our eyes fixed and focused on him. And as we journey, he gives us greater revelation of who we are that shapes and forms who we are. Clarity with respect to the person and work of Jesus, and not just when he lived or walked on this earth, but who he is right here, right now. His body gathered and scattered his church. That's who you are. That's who we are. Last week, we addressed powerful and effective We said that a righteous life is key to an effective prayer life. 
Christ is the source of power that James is talking about, and our capacity is for fullness. That's why and how we've been created, to operate on all cylinders, to know and do and pray into the will of God. That is possible for the church. And our goal is agency. We are agents of God's presence in this world. That's what it means to be a righteous person. And this morning, our focus is on fasting. And the first thing I wanna do is give you a definition of fasting. We've been working with a definition on prayer, and this definition for fasting will be familiar to you. Fasting is the lifelong process of becoming a peculiar kind of person who learns to exercise a particular kind of power for the good of the world to the glory of God. Let's unpack that a little bit. What is fasting and how does it fit into all that we've been talking about? Fasting is going without food for a set period of time. There are things we abstain from like social media or TV, other things that we give up for different reasons and different seasons. And those things are good. There's merit in doing that. But fasting is going without food. The willful and intentional abstention of food, usually for religious reasons. And throughout scripture, we see two kinds of fasting, private and public. And so private fasting is personal fasting where we observe as an act of penance or of mourning or seeking divine counsel or aid or simply just expressing a heart for God. I might fast on my own, but then we might fast as well. That's a public fast. And for many of the same reasons mentioned above, incidentally, there's information in your bulletin. We're talking about fasting starting February 13th after dinner, all the way to after worship, at worship on Ash Wednesday. That's what's in your bulletin. February 14th, 6 p.m., a church-wide 24-hour called public fast. We'll break fast with communion. Then we'll enter into the season of Lent. Fasting in the Old Testament throughout Scripture is always accompanied by prayer. It's marked by humility, but never at the neglect of meeting human need. And so if someone is hungry, we might give them food, even share a meal with them, breaking our fast. Or we will meet need and give shelter or clothe to someone in need. We don't want to eclipse the ministry around us because of our pious legalism. And there were varying lengths of fasting throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament especially. One day, three days, seven days. Daniel fasted for 21 days just eating fruits and vegetables. Several people fasted for 40 days. And that was then. This is now. That's Old Testament. Let's talk about the new because it shapes and forms today. The early church held that the time for fasting would be between Christ's resurrection and his 
return. And that's hinted at in the text that we read. John the Baptist and the Pharisees, their disciples are fasting. Jesus's are not. For those who were fasting, that was a problem. Dad, they're not playing nice, not doing it by the rules. They're not doing it correctly. And those who were perturbed came and talked to Jesus and asked about it. And Jesus answered saying that his disciples were not fasting because he was physically present with them. And there would come a day when he is not, then they will fast. So John the Baptist, the Pharisees, Jesus's disciples, three groups. When you think about John the Baptist, rugged man that he was, it makes sense that his disciples probably were cut from a similar mold. Practitioners of extreme asceticism, rugged individualism, self-denial for the purpose of moving the hand of God. And they had high hopes for Messiah, a king who would come and deliver Israel from the hand of their Roman oppressors. And when things weren't working out according to the script that they were writing, doubt began to creep in and they questioned. On the other hand, the Pharisees had a long-standing practice of misinterpreting, misappropriating the law for their own good. And their fasting was more like flatulence. Look at me, I'm so high and mighty doing all these pious things. They fasted for show. They used big words and public prayers as if to earn God's love and look good doing it. They too had high hopes that God would enter in that their legalistic tendencies would usher in the reign of Messiah, a new era. And the Pharisees' spirituality was nothing more than religious performance. Church, fasting is not about misdirected zeal. It's not about legalistic virtue. Fasting is about hunger for God. Say that last sentence with me. Fasting is about hunger for God. And Jesus demonstrated that throughout his life. In Matthew 4, he fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Then he launched his public ministry. In John chapter 4, it's arguable that he was fasting when he encountered the woman at the well. And in both of those chapters, Jesus said things like, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Or John 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Even in John 6, 35, Jesus equated his own flesh with being the bread of life. Jesus lived a fasted life lifestyle. That's the goal for you and me. Jesus lived a fasted lifestyle that demonstrated a hunger for God that drove his righteousness and catalyzed powerful and effective prayer. And he expected as much from his disciples then and now. In Matthew 6, 16, Jesus said, when you fast, not if, you fast. Earlier, he said, when you give, when you pray, expecting that we would give and pray. Quick sidebar, I want you to know that we in this room could carry the financial burden of this church 
if we gave like Jesus called us to give, just us here now, we could usher in the kingdom of God and impact and shape culture, life, and ministry here in this church, Tyler, Smith County, East Texas, the world, if we prayed like Jesus is inviting us to pray, what might happen if we fasted like he is inviting us to fast? When you fast, Jesus said, sometimes when I fast, I eat with a scarcity mindset in between because I know I got to get mines now. Sometimes when I fast and break my fast, I eat seconds just to make up for meals lost. One time when I fasted for 48 hours, first time ever, and midnight came because it was a solid weekend, I hop. <laughs> College. Breakfast never tasted so good. And I think Jesus had a little bit more in mind when he invites us to fast than taking care of that hunger before we get into the hunger. I want us to get this, so let me say it again. While fasting is going without food, it's not about food. Fasting is about hunger for God, who honors that. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And in the text we read this morning, Jesus said of us, of his disciples, they will fast. Fasting is about redirecting my appetite for food towards God, learning to cultivate a hunger for God and others. So back to our text. When Jesus was asked about fasting, rather, when he was asked about his disciples not fasting, he responded by saying, friends of the bridegroom don't fast while he's with them, but once he's no longer with them. They don't fast in his physical presence. They fast in his physical absence. Because fasting is feasting on the presence of God. Yes. A new and better way. J.D. Walt said that fasting is about appetite displacement. It's about cultivating relational presence during Christ's physical absence. Fasting is primarily and physically embodied means of attention and attunement to the abiding presence of Jesus in his physical absence. Fasting is not about food and set periods of not eating followed by binge eating. It's about hunger and learning to carry hunger in love for God and others. Fasting is not about religious presence or absence of food. It's about the very real presence of Christ. Jesus is talking about a new and better way of beholding him, of taking him in, of acknowledging our legalism and zealousness and starving that to death. 
Jesus is talking about a new kind of righteousness that unleashes power and affects all of life as we live in Christ, and more importantly, as Christ lives in us. Fasting feeds that hunger. Fasting is about hunger for God. And there's got to be more. In August of 2021, there was a woman who sued McDonald's over an ad for cheeseburgers and chicken McNuggets, saying that ad caused her to break her fast five months prior during the season of Lent, six weeks leading up to Easter. She saw this ad and couldn't control the urge and so went to McDonald's and probably had the best cheeseburger of her life. And I don't mean to poke fun because I've given up red meat for Lent and ate the best cheeseburger I'd ever eaten during that season of Lent. And so we slip and then we get back up and carry on. But her argument was, in the actions of McDonald's, I see a violation of the consumer protection law. I ask the court to investigate and if a violation has taken place, to oblige McDonald's to compensate me for moral damage in the amount of 14 US dollars. Humorous. Jesus told a parable in Luke 18 that contrasts the fasting of a braggadocious man who was very self-righteous. He fasted twice a week and was very arrogant in so doing, and a humble sinner who begged God for mercy and not cheeseburgers. Our fasting must be for sincere and not for show. Because while fasting has to do with going without food. It's not about food. It's about cultivating hunger for God and for others. So here's where I think Jesus is going in Mark 2, verse 22. He is the new wine. We are the new wineskin, individually, but much more so corporately. We are. Not an organization, not a denomination or an institutional structure, not systems and processes, not brick and mortar. We are agents of God's presence. We are his physical body in the world. We gather and we scatter, and when we gather, his presence is in here. And when we scatter, his presence is in here. Yes. And fasting tunes us into his presence. So we keep our eyes fixed and focused on Christ. And that's what it means to be a righteous person. He is the source of all power that affects our capacity and impacts the world around us. And fasting is a means of grace that fuels all of that. It's going without food, but it's not about food. Fasting is about hungering for more of God. And it's possible to be in tune with God, to know and pray into and be and do the will of God, but it does not come by brainstorm. Yes. 
I mean, we got some pretty sharp minds in the room and we could come up with a great plan for this church. What about God's heart for this church? And if we fasted because we were hungry for him to reveal that, man, it comes from God. It's marked by hunger and it's as simple as Christ in you. The one who died, was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and when he did, he went from being one person to one person, entering into the hearts of those who repent and receive the gift of his presence, and that is salvation, and it's only the beginning we are becoming more and more who he would have us be in this church and in this world. And so as we bring all of this to a close and wrap it up, there are a couple of ways that I want to encourage you to respond. And first is by giving yourself to Christ. And maybe you've done that before. Then double down on that commitment to Christ. But if you have never I want to invite you and encourage you because that's the best and most important decision you will ever make. And he invites us as we go to surrender more and more according to the revelation that he's giving. So let's give all of who we are, at least as much as we can, to as much of him, Christ, as we understand and see what God does with that beginning point and see who God makes us to be as his body and his bride, his presence in the world. And then secondly, I want to encourage you to wade into these waters of fasting. And maybe you can't go for 24 hours. And maybe you can't give up a meal. Maybe there's a medical reason that you can't fast at all. All of us can start with some type of indulgence. I just won't eat chocolate or coffee or chips and salsa. Mm. What is it that you crave? Let's turn that into a crave and hunger for more of God. And as we do the one thing, maybe God will invite us to do the many and the muchness and the more. But let's start simple. Cultivating a hunger for God. Heightening an awareness for how he's working in the world inviting us to step into all that he's doing. Let's pray into that. Lord, we love you and we trust you and we long for more of you, God. We're hungry for more of you. Individually, corporately, we want everything you have for us. We don't wanna miss any of it. So Lord, we make a small sacrifice and maybe we start with one thing, and watch that turn into something more and beautiful, something that's of God. Lord, as we behold you, may we experience your power. May we find ourselves corporately operating on all cylinders. And may we usher in your kingdom in ways that we've not yet experienced. Thank you for inviting us to participate in all that you're doing. 
Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.